Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Today is part three in our podcast series on headache. In part one, we covered identifying the serious headache. We discussed the international classification of headache disorders. We had a deep dive into migraine and talked about the biopsychosocial consideration and other tips for headache management. In part two, we covered tension headaches, cervicogenic headaches, We talked about explaining the management of headaches and also the safety of manual therapies. On today's podcast, we'll cover just about everything else, in particular the other headaches that you need to consider in your diagnosis. Joining me once again on the ACA podcast is Associate Professor Peter Tushin, a well-known chiropractic researcher, academic and headache expert. To remind our listeners about Peter, he retired from Macquarie University after 27 years as Associate Professor. Peter's areas of interest and research include the relationship of posture with neck pain, headaches and migraine, chronic pain syndromes, and the relationship of vertebral artery dissection and stroke. Peter conducted one of the largest randomized controlled trials in chiropractic for migraine to date and recently completed a systematic literature review on manual therapy for migraine. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for the invitation to present uh, on these very important topics. So just a quick recap. Uh, The most common headaches that walk into a chiropractor's office really are tension-type headaches, migraine, and cervicogenic headaches. Yeah, that's correct. So in in order of prevalence, tension-type headache would be highest. Estimates around 10 to 20% of the population. Migraine estimates are about 12%. Um, but keep in mind, it's it's a ratio of 18% for females and 6% for males. Um, and then cervicogenic headache is is estimated to be about 5 to 10%, but there's a bit of controversy around how prevalent it is. So the estimates can vary widely. Um, but also for, for chiropractors to remember as well, um, these figures are generally underestimated. Uh, a lot of people with headaches uh, don't present to um, practitioners, um, including my, including uh, chiropractors. So let's get on to the slightly less common but still very important headaches and starting with cluster headaches. Uh, I noticed on the International Classification of Headache Disorders that this comes under trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. So, so perhaps you can explain that as well as uh, cluster headaches. Yeah, that's right. So the the breakdown in the international classification system is in primary and secondary headaches. So uh, trigeminal autonomic cephalgias are one of the primary headache disorders. And within that are things like cluster headache. Um, There's also some other um, much rarer um, paroxysmal hemicranias, and there's ones that are are called a short-lasting unilateral neuralgia form headache with conjunct- conjunctival injection and tearing. So mm. SUNCT, S-U-N-C-T, is one. Um, these are very uh, rare and and I would think highly unlikely that a chiropractor would see them, but it's it's certainly important to be aware of them. So what, um, the, 
Sorry. Yeah, just so what getting back to the the more common of that slightly rare group, um, what were we looking for if we're considering a cluster headache? So cluster headaches, um, they estimate it's it's reasonably rare, one in a thousand people. So it's not something you come in contact with often. Um, and that they're always diagnosed by the distinguishing um features. So the frequency of the of the attacks, the the pain, how long they last for. Um, and they do when you're they're in the middle of the cluster. It's considerable um, disability and and uh, pain and suffering, um, and a lot of it will re re revolve around those um, uh, conjunctival symptoms. So, uh, watering eyes, really red eyes. Uh, they're typically in the middle age range, are about twenty to forty years of age. Um, and for cluster headaches, males are um, three times more likely than females to uh, um, suffer from them. It's very, pretty rare in children and rare in the older age groups. Right. And, and are these are, are things that have links to, to stress or, or known triggers? Um, they are. And, and there's similar um, mechanism for onset to migraine and therefore similar treatment. So a lot of the... Uh, Treatments for migraines can be also used for cluster headaches. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they're they're very debilitating headaches, but they're they're in they're always in that sort of cluster, very intense for a reasonably short period of time. The next one we move on to is a really difficult one to manage, uh, and just their name sort of suggests that anyway. But that's a chronic daily headache. Uh, what is that exactly, and uh, and how do we go about managing a headache such as that? Yeah, as you said, they are um, a very difficult headache to manage um, because they can occur very frequently. Um, the criteria for diagnosis is more than 15 episodes per month. So it doesn't have to be every single day, but they're, they're very frequent. Um, and they can be, chronic daily headaches can include tension headache, migraine and cervicogenic headache. Um, and the big concern is because they're so frequent and um, debilitating that people then de de uh, develop a significant dependence on medication. So then we start getting concerns about medication overuse headaches. So, yes, that's really important. Uh, and before we get on to uh, chronic uh, or the medication relationship to chronic daily headache, I just want to uh, discuss, um, obviously, chronic daily headache, because of its nature, often people have seen a GP or um, are already sort of under the uh, a neurologist or some other uh, form of practitioner quite often before they actually see a chiropractor. Uh, how is a, a chiropractor going to communicate their role to a GP? Uh, or if they haven't already seen their GP or consulted with a neurologist, is this something where you would bring someone else into the conversation, given the severity and the frequency of the headache? Yeah, look, the co-management of chronic daily headache is, I, I think, very important. And so, um, you know, whilst the patient might have seen a GP and seen a, a specialist neurologist, um, they are still often really struggling with trying to get relief. So I would certainly recommend contacting uh, the GP and the neurologist. I, I tend to do it until a patient has shown some improvements. So we can then talk about um, what has changed, what hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, and obviously then uh, the GP um, 
may be uh, able to uh, do a referral under an enhanced primary care or chronic pain management plan. So that's where uh, patients can get those extra five visits in addition to any other private health insurance they've got. Um, and I always think this is a great opportunity then to dis discuss chronic pain strategies with their medical um, provider, medical practitioner, and, and talk about how we're, we're taking a, a holistic approach to this problem. So not only looking at the, the physical side of uh, the problems, but also the, uh, the psychological mental health side. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Um, moving on then now to uh, trigeminal neuralgia. I've had a few patients with this over the years, uh, but not a lot. Again, another important but less common headache. Yeah, pretty pretty rare headache, but uh, you know, severe uh, pain, and they often describe it as a, a shooting pain, like an electric shock. Um, and they they get all these trigeminal features, so they can have sensitivity or attacks across the the face following the trigeminal uh, nerve branches. Um, it can be triggered by just things like uh, touching the face uh, um, when they chew, by talking, brushing teeth, things like that. Um, sometimes the pain distribution can be even broader, so it can affect up around the the uh, ears, eyes, forehead um, as well. Um, and yeah, they certainly described as quite severe um, oversensitivity to to pain or, or strong sensations. Um, it's um, very debilitating, but thankfully quite rare. And how, when we're, uh, someone presents with those uh, trigeminal type of uh, neuralgic symptoms, how do we determine whether it's uh, a true trigeminal neuralgia as opposed to a, a, a temporomandibular disorder of sorts? Yeah, so the distribution of the pain and sensitivity, um, is, there's a lot of overlap, so it is very difficult for the differential diagnosis. I think the key features are really um, the, the discomfort or pain in the jaw uh, related to eating, um, and so they get this soreness rather than this um, intense pain. Um, but, of course, you know, if it's been prolonged, it can um, become very painful and debilitating. And I think for chiropractors, it really comes down to this, uh, our physical examination of the jaw and the neck. So seeing if people have got a, a lot of neck problems, so they're, they're holding a lot of tension in their jaw, or of course, uh, vice versa, they've got a lot of uh, jaw problems. You can feel locking of the jaw, clicking of the jaw. They have um, they can't open their, their mouth very far. Um, you know, you might even hear some, you know, crepitus as they move the jaw, uh, and so a, a, a thorough physical examination um, by the chiropractor would be would be um, highly recommended. And that's what I think that's our real skill and our our forte is um, doing that thorough physical examination. Absolutely, I know in my experience in the few patients that I've had with uh, trigeminal neuralgia, they're often extremely guarded uh, with anyone sort of touching them around their their face or, or their jaw or, or potentially even their neck because the pain when it is present is so severe uh, and and as opposed to someone with temporomandibular disorder where they'll be quite happy often for you even though it might be sore to to you know get into their uh, you know, temporalis or their internal external pterygoid and massage that area, and it'll be almost like a, a painful good feel as opposed to the trigeminal yeah. neuralgia. It'll be very, very, very nervous about you uh, putting any kind of exactly. pressure on those spots. 
but from a, a chiropractor's point of view as well, you know, trigeminal neuralgia can can absolutely be connected with the trigeminal cervical nucleus, which is around C1, C2, and the afferents going in from there into this brainstem. So um, I, I think there is a good justification for the chiropractor attempting to help this person um, get some relief of their symptoms. Absolutely. Um, now, coffee is an interesting one. It, it, it's often, I find, a, a trigger for, for a headache. And I'm amazed when I have a conversation with uh, some people and ask them about how many coffees they drink today in, in a day. And I get the answer of six, seven or eight, you know, mm. there's more, more than one coffee for me today. And that puts me over the edge, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess it's also uh, when, when used selectively, uh, particularly with things like migraines, can even um, reduce or, or or help a headache. So so what's the connection there? How, how can coffee cause headaches and in some cases even help headaches? Yeah, I think this is the thing. It, it shows the the broad diversification of symptoms and triggers for um, headache and, and especially migraine sufferers. Um, as you pointed out, for some people, caffeine can be a trigger, but for many people, caffeine is the treatment. So it's it's quite confusing. Um, the theories are when people have uh, coffee, caffeine, uh, the blood vessels uh, um, constrict. And because the, the blood vessels have already dilated before the headache, um, this vasoconstrictive um, narrowing of the blood vessels and restricting blood flow then um, exacerbates the migraine. But obviously, it must have reverse effects as well. So the constrictive, vasoconstrictive effects might then relieve the dilation, I suppose, depending on the timing of exactly when this um, mechanism is is occurring. So, and and uh, there is some research that says there's some analgesic effects with um, caffeine, and of course, we can never um, um, estimate the psychological um, effects with coffee. Um, yeah, um, people seem to get uh, wonderful effects once they've had uh, some caffeine. It's interesting. Uh, some of my Italian patients uh, are assure me that they uh, that they were getting caffeine in their mother's milk, and that's why they can uh, tolerate coffee so uh, so well. And clearly, it uh, must metabolize differently in different people. And like you said, the timing oh, of it is uh, probably exactly the right. critical thing. So one thing I always recommend with patients as well, um, you know, dehydration is a significant issue, and yes. uh, coffee can be a diuretic, as can tea. Um, so I always recommend to patients, um, you know, keep going with your coffee, but every time you have a coffee or a tea, have a glass of water too. Yes. And so that way you're getting both effects and, and hopefully um, reducing any chance for dehydration. Very good. Now, we touched you touching on it before when we talked about chronic daily headache, but I want to just go a little bit further now into um, the drug, not so much dependency, but the uh, uh, the medication-induced headaches that uh, that often happen where the the very drugs that are, ho are there to help uh, migraines and various types of headaches can actually over time become the triggers for these headaches. So so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's um, lots and lots of pharmaceuticals recommended for all the headaches, especially migraine, um, but some of them can be quite strong. Um, so even though people get relief from their migraine, um, there, there's up to 50% of the migraine medications have this rebound migraine, so they can get a migraine within 24 hours. So they're setting up this pattern of 
needing to get relief from the migraine, but then the medication they take then inducing another migraine very quickly. So they they fall into this pattern of of having dependence on the drug. And whether that's a, a physiological defend, uh, dependence or a psychological dependence, um, mm. again, very hard to say. But because some of the um, headache drugs, especially the migraine drugs, are pretty strong, um, it seems to be more likely that those ones will create more dependence and then the concern is uh, leading to uh, medication overuse headache. And how do you go, how do I guess you, and it's probably, I guess, in many ways, of course, something that um, is a conversation with the GP and the GP needs to be involved in any kind of management when it comes to um you know, looking at these kind of medication issues, but how do you make the um, uh, the decision that this is a medication overuse problem as opposed to just the headache? Is it does it require a, a period of withdrawal from the medication to really be certain of a diagnosis? Yeah, if if they are given the diagnosis, and I think it's typically from a neurologist, um, withdrawal from medication overuse headaches is very complicated, and they most of the time they'll be um, put into a hospital during this during this time um, and monitored very closely. So they describe uh, you know um, overcoming medication overuse headaches very similar to um, heroin. Um, withdrawal so it's it's pretty pronounced and so very significant Um, but certainly working in collaboration co-management with medical providers you know uh, most headache and especially migraine sufferers are very keen to reduce their reliance on pharmaceuticals so if we can show that um, our treatments are actually um, reducing the need for pharmaceuticals then that potentially prevents the um, the onset of medication overuse headache, um, and so it's got to be just that that physical aspect of of care, but also the psychological aspect of care. Trying to make sure um, people don't become dependent on anything, um, including uh, pharmaceuticals. And I guess it was a really interesting uh, outcome from your original migraine study uh, that did actually show that people had less of a uh, reliance or used medication less when they were receiving chiropractic care for their migraines. Yeah, exactly. That was the the, the largest area for improvement in the in my original um, RCT. And, and that was encouraging because it, it is something that people are um, very worried about. And, and yeah, ex- excessive use of pharmaceuticals can um, lead to a whole range of other problems. Uh, you know, there's always issues talked about uh, safety of manual therapies like chiropractic, but you know when you look at the long-term use of even simple drugs like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, there's certainly uh, strong research that shows it increases the chance of uh, heart attack, stroke, gastro gastroenterological, um, gastrointestinal uh, complications. So um, anything we can do to try and reduce um, dependence or reliance on pharmaceuticals is a positive thing. I noticed even there was media just uh, in the last week or so uh, that talked about reducing the packaging for uh, paracetamol from, I think, 20 to, to 16 because of concerns of uh, overuse of even the, the most commonly used and uh, uh, reportedly safest of the of the uh, medications for to control pain. So, um, yes, yeah. any any if you can get away without using medication, that's obviously a big plus. And I guess that's the role as chiropractors that we have, not only in terms of just providing hands-on care, but as you said, the other uh, psychosocial 
aspects and uh, strategies for patients to manage pain or prevent uh, and manage some of the triggers for their headaches um, so that they don't actually have to rely so much on the medication. Yeah, and even the, the humble paracetamol, there was a, a study a few years ago and it looked at the uh, the number of people caught, this is an American study calling, um, poison centres around America for complications of, associated with paracetamol. And um, in a 12-month period, there was something like 120,000 calls to the poison centres. And from that, 50%, 60,000 were severe enough to be recommended to go to an emergency department. And I think from memory, there was something like 320-odd deaths. Now, of course, the concern is, uh, you know, was it um, a deliberate overdose or, or an accidental yes. overdose? But there's still, you know, and, of course, the exposure, when you look at how many people in America are using paracetamol, that 320 is a, a tiny figure, but it's still pretty significant. Absolutely. Um, what about just, uh, I guess, uh, final advice or, or, or words of wisdom for chiropractors generally managing and caring for people with headaches? Yeah, I, look, I, I, I suppose I always look at the co-management. So, you know, looking at what we can do physically, but what other um, professionals can do to help that as well. And, you know, developing a good relationship with a psychologist, particularly with chronic pain, um, problems, chronic uh, headaches and migraines, um, looking at the uh, multimodal therapy. So spinal manipulation is very effective, but there's other aspects of manual um, health, manual care, which are also effective and, and using those uh, techniques in combination, I think, um, get terrific results. Um, there's uh, new research coming out all the time with um, uh, new devices, so uh, you know neuromodulation devices, which again um, patients could use, um, assisting your therapy to try and reduce the the nervous sensitivity and an overloaded nervous system, um, and also uh, you know just developing more skills, I suppose, in um, the language we use with patients. So you know doing some. Uh, additional training in, in mental health so we really understand just how much these uh, chronic long-term conditions can affect people and what language we can use to try and, and help support them. On the neuromodulation um, uh, topic you just brought up just there, I know a lot of chiropractors will be familiar with this, but some may not. Can you talk to, uh, to us a little bit more about what that actually involves? Um, so it's just looking at... Um, ways to try and um, alter uh, the, the nervous system so some most of the time it's desensitizing it the uh, particularly with migraine there's this central sensitization of the nervous system everything seems to be um, hyper responsive so a lot of the the drugs look at reducing the the neurotransmitters or and if they can't reduce the the concentration then they would try and reduce the receptors uh, reacting so blocking the receptors but there are good neuromodulation devices. Um, so the uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation um, is having some good research. There's something called uh, Cephali, which is like a uh, an external um, electromyographic device that um, re reduces muscle tension and uh, reduces nerve sensitivity that way. So it's uh, I always describe it to patients 
as just basically trying to turn the volume down in, in the radio or an amplifier, you know, so mm. we're just looking at ways of trying to calm the nervous system back down. Well, what we might do in this uh, podcast is provide just a couple of links for people to have a look at those neuromodulation devices. And if they wish to explore that a little bit further, they certainly may. Uh, Peter, I really appreciate your help with uh, presenting these uh, three great headache podcasts. I'm sure they've been of um, great uh, benefit to the people listening to them and uh, form a nice little package uh, with the ACA uh, Spinal Health Week being all about headaches in 2023. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I'm, I'm always happy to uh, present information on, uh, on chiropractic and in particular headaches and migraines. And there is so much research being done now. It's hard for practitioners to keep up to date with everything. But, you know, if you if you've got a special interest in it, I think it's um it's it's good to have all that uh, information on hand, and I think we've got tremendous um, um, marketing potential um, to raise the profile of what chiropractors can help people with, and and in particular headaches, migraines, chronic pain. Um, there's lots of research now supporting that, so um, I, I'm always happy to. Uh, to speak on on chiropractic so if people um if people need a speaker for events um and that can be local events i think it's a great way of of raising the profile for the chiropractor in the local community having you know a, a person that's done a lot of research in the topic um present to a, a community event absolutely i think that's a great idea uh pete thanks again for uh your time well that's it for me Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence and I look forward to chatting with you again on the next ACA podcast.